Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA President Dr Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. In our last podcast, we went through some of the key financial incentives on offer by the Australian and state governments in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. For chiropractors who've been impacted financially, it's important to get our heads around these initiatives and take advantage of what's on offer. Our previous podcast, we spoke with financial expert Jane Fenner from Nexia Australia. This time, our guest is an expert in human resources and will cover some of the key coronavirus issues from an HR perspective. With things moving so fast, we'll be going over some of the key aspects of JobKeeper once again, as this is likely to be relevant for most of our listeners. Of course, the information we're providing today is of general advice only, and we strongly recommend that you have these conversations with your accountant or financial advisor so that your unique financial position can be considered. Now, our guest today is Mark Werman, who is Managing Director at Wentworth Advantage, a team who specializes in workplace relations, employment law, and work health and safety, with a particular focus on membership-based associations. Now, you've probably heard of uh, Wentworth because they are the provider to the Australian Chiropractors Association's HR Advisory Service, an important and valued membership service that you will find on the ACA website. Mark has been servicing the HEA and workplace relations and needs for chiropractors over the past nine years. Via this service, Wentworth provides immediate HR support to thousands of chiropractors across the country. And over the last few years, he has answered literally thousands of questions on employment-related matters and for our members in our profession. And certainly, I'll be posing many of those questions to Mark on your behalf today. Hi, Mark, and welcome to the ACA podcast. Hi, Anthony. Good to be here. Thanks so much for, for uh, making time to do this podcast. Well, I want to dive straight into it and talk uh, again about JobKeeper. We did cover these uh, issues um, in our last podcast with Jane, but I know things are, are moving on and uh, particularly want to get your view on some of the HR employment issues that people need to be aware of, particularly with regards to JobKeeper. Sure, Anthony, and I'd be more than happy to outline a few of those. And um, I should say that a lot of the um, uh, a lot of the issues that we're talking about today, um, and the questions, no doubt, you're going to be posing to me, are exactly the same questions that are coming into the uh, chiropractors HR advisory service um, that many of you listening today have used. And I, and if you haven't used it, then I strongly encourage that you do. Um, so the context is, uh, is very much based upon the hundreds, if not thousands of questions that have been coming in over recent weeks from members on these topics. And I heard Jane's presentation last week, which was very good, um, but there are a number of human resource or, or workplace issues um, that I think members need to be aware of because we know you guys are phoning in. And, and specifically, Anthony, um, some of the things that come to mind, uh, members are still uh, confused or seeking clarification as to how much they actually have to pay eligible uh, uh, employees of the $1,500 that they get. Um, there seems to be some confusion. So that's one area. Another area 
um, that we're getting a lot of questions around is around leave. Do, do staff actually accrue leave on the payments? Um, a lot of questions around staff that have been stood down and where do they stand in relation to the payment and, and staff that have been made redundant because we do know that a lot of practices have, have moved quite quickly in, uh, in initiating these, um, these strategies, these staffing strategies to, uh, to manage their exposure um, given the fact that some practices are really hurting. So that was another, another key area and there have been some legislative changes uh, that you probably, your members would probably want to hear about around the changes to Fair Work Act and also to the, to the award, the Health Professionals and Support Services Award. So, and this all, all these issues relate to, to, um, to the JobKeeper subsidy and what's going on right now. So let, let's talk firstly then uh, about how much do employers need to imp uh, to pay their employees because we know that it's 1500 a fortnight but that's not necessarily mm. the um the salary or, or wage that uh, all chiropractors or support staff will be receiving how do we work yeah. out how much exactly we need to pay sure okay well first of all you've got to make sure that the employee that is getting it is an is an eligible employee and uh jane did address this last week so just make sure anyone who's full-time or part-time or or a long-term casual, they're all entitled to this payment as long as they're an Australian citizen. Um, some New Zealanders are entitled to it if they, if they work under one of the stipulated visa classes. Um, and you've got to make sure the staff have been on your book since the 1st of March. But assuming all those things exist, um, then the key thing you need to remember is that you have to pass on the full $1,500 payment. And a lot of members, Anthony, are getting a bit confused as to how that works. So let me go through, just to answer your question, a few different scenarios so that the members understand, um, the people listening today understand exactly how the payment arrangement works. Let's say, for example, in, uh, in number, example number one, you've got a, an employee who's, uh, who's grossing, let's say, for example, $1,300 a fortnight. Um, that's what they would normally earn. Um, but under this new arrangement with the JobKeeper subsidy in this instance, uh, the business, the company now has to pay that employee the full $1,500. They don't pocket $200 and the employee gets their $1,300. The whole $1,500, Anthony, needs to be passed on to the employee. So and in fact, some employees are going to be better off um, than when they would be working their normal hours. So in that instance, in this example, if someone is earning less than um, $1,500 per fortnight, $1,300 for the example, they actually get paid the full $1,500. But example number two is around the employees who actually earns more. Let's say they earn typically $1,800 per fortnight. What happens then? Well, in this instance, um, assuming they're working the, 18, um, the hours associated with $1,800, um, uh, you pay them the full $1,800, of which $1,500 you're being subsidised by the government, and you've got to put your hand in the pocket for the balance of $300. Um, now, we do know that there are some members that are really struggling with um, a, a very significant downturn in, in patients, and as a result, um, some of you might not be able to pay um, uh, the $1,800, and the best you can do is the $1,500, uh, the recommendation we're making to members on the chiropractors HR service is to um, bring that staff member's um, hours down 
to, um, to equate to $1,500 a fortnight. So whatever their normal standard hourly rate is, work out how many hours they should be putting in that equates to $1,500, and they work the hours that equates to $1,500, and it becomes a, a cost-neutral uh, arrangement. They work, um, their work equals $1,500, and they get paid $1,500. Um, very quickly, there's been a lot of questions, Anthony, around um, uh, casuals, assuming they're a long-term casual. Um, if the casual is earning, let's say, $1,000, per fortnight, when in this instance you pay the person the full $1,500, they're $500 better off than normal, but that's the way the system works. And of course, when the JobKeeper subsidy is wound up, um, the employee reverts back to the normal $1,000 a fortnight. Um, and the final example, just to answer your question, we're getting a lot of questions around um, what happens with staff that have been stood down, there's no work for them to actually do. Um, they still get the $1,500, even if they don't attend work and there's no work for them to do, they still get the full amount. So that's, that's in principle how, how this arrangement works. It's quite straightforward when you get your head around it, but, but that's the logistics. Yeah, I think you've articulated that very well, Mark. I want to go back to example number one of the person who normally earns less than the $1,500 a fortnight. Mm. Um, mm. What if they only uh, work a, a few hours a week and that might only equate to, you know, $350 a fortnight or something mm. as low as that. Do those people yeah. still qualify for JobKeeper if they're an Australian citizen and a long-term employee? Yeah, they, they do, Anthony. And, and uh, uh, there's going to be a small number of employees, um, particularly casuals, who are going to be quite a bit better off under this arrangement. Um, because as you said, there are some casuals that work in practices and they might put in, you know, a few hours one week and uh, nothing the following week. And then the week after they might put in 10, 15 hours filling in for someone who's away. And, and the next two weeks they do nothing. But as long as they've been systematically and regularly engaged by the practice, off and on throughout the whole year for at least 12 months or more, um, then even in your example, if they, if their normal average fortnightly pay might be $300, and that's all they're getting normally, but it's been systematically that pretty much off and on over the whole year or more, then they still are entitled to the full $1,500 now. Remembering that the $1,500, Anthony, <coughs> is not really designed uh, to be um, payment for services. It really is designed to, <coughs> to be a subsidy to help that person pay their rent, to pay their bills, and to survive until such time as the market improves. Okay, uh, I want to talk a bit about leave. A lot of when coronavirus first came around, a lot of people were uh, were encouraged to take annual leave or long service leave, or may have required to take personal leave because they're looking after children who are, aren't able to go uh, to school. How does that work in terms of uh, accruing um, over time and uh, what would be some examples perhaps where someone might choose to take long service leave as opposed to going, continuing to work and take JobKeeper? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Let me go through it um, uh, um, section by section. First of all, in relation to, to leave, um, uh, the um, annual leave, uh, personal leave, song, long service leave um, still accrues on the payment, Anthony, but it depends upon what the person would normally be earning. So in the first example that we spoke about a few moments ago, I gave the example of someone who's 
earning $1,300 a fortnight, but is now getting the JobKeeper subsidy and they get, and they get uh, paid the full $1,500. Well, for that person, um, their leave entitlements are only calculated on what they would normally be earning prior to the JobKeeper subsidy. So in other words, their leave entitlements, their annual leave and long service leave and all those things are calculated on the $1,300 per fortnight, not the $1,500 that they receive. That's important. Um, if, however, the person's earning more than $1,500, in the second example I gave, the example the person's earning $1,800 a fortnight, well, if they are working $1,800 worth of hours and you're able to pay them the $1,800, then the leave entitlements, the statutory leave entitlements, are on the full amount of $1,800 because that's their ordinary time earnings. That's, that's what it's calculated on. Some members are doing it tough. They're gonna to pull those hours back to equate to a $1,500 fortnightly payment. Well, if their hours equate to 1,500, then um, their leave entitlements are calculated on what they actually work, which is in that example, $1,500. So that's how it works. Now. <clears throat> um, while the person, uh, while any of your staff are on the JobKeeper subsidy, um, uh, there is no reason why they can't also take leave um, under um, the normal conditions that they would be uh, normally employed, which is, um, you know, annual leave or, or personal leave or... Um, or long service leave. And particularly, um, we've received calls from a number of members, Anthony, who have actually approved long service leave or annual leave prior to this whole COVID-19 crisis flaring up. Um, and those employees would certainly be entitled to, uh, to receive their normal pay um, uh, for the leave. Um, uh, they are still getting, the practice is still getting the $1,500 per fortnight. You're just paying them their normal statutory entitlement um, for leave, whatever it is under their normal working hours for annual leave or, or their long service leave. That gets paid normally. And of course, as they use it, their entitlement um, accrual reduces accordingly. So prior to uh, JobKeeper coming into effect, um, many people, many staff members would have been stood down or potentially made redundant. Uh, what happens in those cases as far as JobKeeper is concerned? Yeah, it's, a, it's actually sadly quite a common occurrence in the profession and a number of members uh, actually uh, decided that they were going to move hard and move very fast um, when they saw what was going on and what the potential impact on their client base was. So they actually moved to um, making staff redundant. Um, and we're still seeing that now. And many of you who are listening today have got advice from the um, Chiropractors HR service about how to do that properly and legally. And a few of you even uh, took the initiative um, to, uh, to make some staff, uh, to stand down staff. Um, although that's, uh, that's a trickier situation industrially. But, but what all that means is that um, as long as the staff um, that were made redundant or the ones that were stood down were on your books as of the 1st of March, no later than the 1st of March, but if they were on your payroll as of the 1st of March, that you, for example, you made them redundant thereafter in anticipation of what was going to happen, 
or you stood them down thereafter, but as long as they're on the books on the 1st of March, then you can reinstate them if you made them redundant. You can bring them back into the business and pay them the $1,500 subsidy. Um, and if they were stood down um, and clearly receiving no money, because that's the nature of a stand down, um, then they would still be entitled to the JobKeeper subsidy and you pay that directly to them. Even though there's no work for them to do um, and there's no obligation for them to come into the practice to do work. So a number of practices are able to re-engage, bring them the, uh, the previously made redundant staff back on board. Um, they can do that. Um, and the ones that have been stood down um, can now receive the payment, at least have some money coming in the door to pay all their bills. Mark, we might have jumped forward one step there. Perhaps we can just um, go back and clarify terms in terms of uh, what is uh, what happens when someone's stood down versus when someone's made redundant. Yeah, sure. It's a good question, Anthony. So let me clarify that. Um, uh, someone who is made redundant, the position in effect ceases to exist. So let me explain that within the context of chiropractic practice. A number of um, practices have been uh, so severely hit by uh, by reduction in patients who are even who, who might be reluctant to come in, or you know they service um, a lot of uh, elderly people who are not able to uh, to leave their homes. Um, the business downturn has been so significant, has been so severe that there just isn't the capacity for the practice to keep the same number of chiropractors or employees on board. So, so they've had no other choice than to actually make a decision that they, they don't need the same number of staff and they've selected some people to be made redundant and those positions are no longer needed because they just aren't the, aren't the patients. Um, and as a result, those people are let go as a result of the fact the position ceases to, to exist. Now, they, there are things, there are certain hoops they have to jump through to make sure they, they're doing it through a legally compliant process. But in effect, that's what's happened. They've actually decided they don't need as many positions. Some positions don't need to be there and they've, they've actually shut the position down. Um, it no longer exists and that's a redundancy. Um, uh, now, a stand down is different. A stand down is when you, for, for reasons um, uh, with, with, with essentially business virtually stops, has been a stoppage of business for, for, you know, for any number of reasons, there's been a stoppage of business through no fault of the practice. Um, and there is no other useful work for those employees to do than a practice can actually stand down an employee. And what that means is that you're putting the employee into hibernation. They're still on the payroll. Unlike redundancy, they're finished. Contract's finished. It's terminated. That's it. There's no more. But with the stand down, the person goes into hibernation. They remain on the payroll. They're not just, they're no longer drawing a wage or salary. Their statutory entitlements are still accruing. So they're still accruing, but they're not drawing any salary out of the business at all. It's like a bear going into hibernation at the beginning of winter and they come out the other end. That's what a stand down is. Um, and that's the difference between that and redundancy. That's a good to make that point. Um, now, just in terms of uh, the paperwork for JobKeeper is effectively on the onus of the employer to, to manage all of this, which takes certainly some pressure off the employees, but the employees need to agree to be nominated for um, JobKeeper. Can you explain how that works? 
Yeah, very quickly. Um, a lot of a lot of members aren't aware uh, yet, Anthony, and I, I'm glad that you asked the question. Um, not only must a, a, a practice register with the ATO, um, and you can go onto the ATO site uh, to be able to um, start the process to um, to get those payments, but but employees need to be um, nominated and acknowledge that they've been nominated and that they agree to receive the payment. Um, so uh, you need to ask your employees if they agree to be nominated um, and receive payments from you. And that happens formally through a special um, document called the JobKeeper Employee Nomination Notice. Um, and that's available once again from the ATO site. Uh, it's a form that you fill in, the, the practice owner fills in, it's a, um, and also the, uh, the employee who's going to be receiving the subsidy fills in. You've got to fill that in, both parties, and then you keep it on file. You don't submit it to the tax office, you hold on to it, um, and that's an important part of the process too. So the, the legislation for JobKeeper only went through uh, Parliament, I think it might have been the 8th of April f from memory, um, but there's been some changes since then to, um, uh, to some HR issues. Maybe you could sort of uh, talk about the Fair Work Act and other important changes that chiropractors need to be aware of. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. I'll try and keep this brief because there's quite a number of changes and I do emphasise for members to find out more about the things I'm about to talk about is to go onto the HR hub of the um, Australian Chiropractors Association um, website and you'll be able to download micro learning webinars and a whole pile of summary notes that go through all these details because I'm going to move through it fairly quickly now because timing is a little bit tight but but essentially there's two main changes Anthony there's been some um, uh, very very significant changes to the Fair Work Act and I should say these are temporary changes um, done specifically to align itself to the implementation of the JobKeeper wage subsidies scheme. Um, and these changes only apply to those employers and their employees who are receiving the JobKeeper payment. So these changes only apply to those employers and, and employees who are receiving the payment. If you're not receiving the payment, or you haven't applied for it, then these changes do not apply to you. Um, the changes uh, are in effect from now, the 8th of April and onwards, right up to the end of September, the 28th of September, aligned to the JobKeeper wage subsidy. Now, now, the main issue here with the changes to the Fair Work Act is that employers can now give what's called JobKeeper enabling directions to employees. And what that means is that employers can now make temporary or partial stand downs um, in certain circumstances, they can alter employees' usual working hours, they can change their usual duties, they can change their locations of work, and they do this through a process called the JobKeeper Enabling Stand Down. And it's, it's a, a form of, um, it's an arrangement, it's a working arrangement where the employee can direct the employee to not work on certain days or to reduce their hours or, or to change what they normally do. And these are changes, these are directions that typically an employer cannot do under the normal Fair Work Act regulations and laws um, because this level of flexibility is not, is not allowed within the, within the normal legislation. But because of these changes and because of the very unique times we find ourselves in, 
these JobKeeper enabling stand down directions are now providing employees the opportunity to actually make some stronger decisions and um, employees generally have to go along with it. Um, that being said, um, uh, the stand down direction still has to be reasonable um, and employers can't uh, do it without consultation. They have to consult with employees before they enforce such a direction. But these directions will allow employees to make harder, stronger decisions as long as it's reasonable and there's been a level of consultation and they can prove it. Um, it allows an employer to make harder decisions to allow um, uh, them to reduce their labour costs in a manner to survive this crisis. That's what it's about. So that, that's the changes to the Fair Work Act. Um, there's also been uh, some changes to a number of awards of which the award impacting chiropractors, the Health Professionals and Support Services Award 2010 has been, um, has been impacted. Uh, once again, these changes relate directly only to those employees who are receiving the JobKeeper subsidy. Um, and that is that, that employees are now entitled to take two weeks of unpaid pandemic leave. Um, and also they're entitled to take their normal annual leave um, uh, entitlement at half pay. So if they're normally working a full-time uh, a full-time um, arrangement, they would be normally entitled to four weeks annual leave under the current arrangement with the change to the award, they're entitled to um, annual leave at half pay, which means they can have, in effect, up to eight weeks of annual leave receiving it at half pay. It's a cost-neutral arrangement for the employer, but these things are designed, these changes are designed to provide employers with more flexibility with their staff to allow them to get through this crisis. Um, so these changes are about providing subsidies through the JobKeeper and the changes to the legislation and the awards is about providing significant greater flexibility of working arrangements. Um, now I've moved through these changes pretty quickly, but my recommendation, Anthony, if any member needs to, um, to work out how to apply these things relevant to their staff in their practices because of trauma, financial trauma and business trauma that's going on, call the Chiropractors HR service and my team on the help desk who are terrific will help tailor an arrangement that best needs, uh, best meets the needs of each individual member phoning up based upon all these options that are now, um, that are now there. Yes, it certainly is a fantastic service and I uh, wholeheartedly would uh, endorse uh, uh, chiropractors and members getting on to, um, to, to Wentworth through their, the HR service. It really is a, an invaluable service, especially at this time in our history. Now, it's not just about uh, wage subsidies and flexibilities. We also need to be thinking more broadly about how we can uh, reduce labour costs and reduce costs in general. Uh, do you have any other particular tips for, for chiropractors in that regard? Oh, well, there's a few things and we are getting, this is another question we're getting a lot of, Anthony, a lot of members are phoning up saying, listen, I just need to reduce labour costs. What are some of the options? Well, um, what my team are, are, are advising or suggesting to members is that now is a really good time to have a look at how their business is actually run, have a look at how workflow happens, um, get rid of any bottlenecks, inefficiencies, um, poor quality work that might lead to rework, wasteful processes. These things are, are, you know, are not the way to run a business and now's a good time to tighten these things up, 
so that you can figure out how you might be able to do the same amount of work with fewer people or definitely how to maybe you know move move some people onto part-time arrangements um to you know bring your re your, your cost base down your labor cost down by making sure that those staff that are there are working sensibly and reasonable hours through having a really good look at your labor cost and your workflow and and making sure that things are tightened up um, that's a really important thing to do right now particularly if you're reducing your labor um, and you're going to try and do the same or less with significantly fewer people now's the time um, the other thing you can do is you can request employees to take their annual leave or their long service leave and you know i do understand that you still have to pay them but it's an accrual that sits on your balance sheet um, you know there is a benefit for them to maybe take some time off now take their leave um, by paying them now what allows you to work down that accrual um, and there's an argument that if you pay them now you know it's probably it could be less than what well, you might need to pay them if they take that time off in a year or two's time. Um, uh, there is no reason why you can't sit down with your staff, with the staff within the practice, and try and negotiate a reduction in working hours. Try and encourage someone to go down to four days a week, or maybe move to a nine-day fortnight and pay them for the hours that they're working. Now, mm. you can't force it, Anthony. It is something that needs to be done consultatively. And if the employee dig, digs their heels in and says, no, I can't afford it, I don't want to do it, um, you can't force it. But um, we find a lot of practices are sitting down with you know, a number of their staff and saying, listen, we all need to, need to share some of the pain here to allow us to, to get through to the other side. Um, if you could somehow allow us to do it and you agree to actually do it, um, it would really help. And a lot of staff are saying, you know what, I'm going to take one for the team. I'll move to a four-day week or a nine-day fortnight and, and that allows you across a number of staff to reduce your labour cost. Um, you you want to get some sort of agreement and make sure that you, you know, that it's signed because you don't want the employee coming back later on saying that you forced them in into it. Yes. Um, uh, but yeah, you, you can do that. Um, even to the degree that some practices are asking some of their staff to take unpaid leave, you know, a few weeks here or a few weeks there and some employees are saying you know what i don't mind doing it um and finally uh if you've got any staff that you brought on previously who've been on um who've been on probation um maybe these are the employees you have to consider letting go because if you if you let them go during probation you're not going to be exposed to unfair dismissal um or if they've been with you for less than 12 months you consider a redundancy in line with what i was saying earlier on and and if they've been with you for less than 12 months, there's no severance payment. There's no redundancy pay, which allows you to keep your costs down. So a few ideas that might help. But speak to the help desk um, is my recommendation for members who are looking for, for specific advice about their own practices and what can happen. So look, it's not all doom and gloom, clearly. And we, you know, the teamwork approach uh, is important. We are all in this together. Um, and, you know, just quietly, I think a, a few people might be enjoying the forced slowdown um, and, you know, reflecting a little bit on, um, you know, how, what's important in life in terms of that, um, you know, work-life balance. But but clearly there are some people who are, are struggling and, and, and may develop or um, exacerbate some sort of mental health issues during this crisis. Um, what are your thoughts or recommendations about how people can look after their mental health during this time? Mm, that's a, Anthony, it's a huge issue. There is 
there is no doubt about it. And I am greatly concerned. I think, I think everyone's being very stoic and putting on a brave face, but I think underneath the surface, um, people are really hurting um, and they are struggling. And, and I do strongly recommend that we all look out for each other. And just a, a few quick points, because we could speak for a long time just on this one, but I think it's really important, firstly, that, that your members stay connected. Um, keep in touch with friends and family. Um, you know, give people a call, set up a Zoom um, video conference or a house party, um, a dinner party, and, you know, use technology to stay connected. And I've got to say, I really, from the beginning, since the government's been using the term social distancing, I've never liked that term, Anthony. I've I found it, it's actually incorrect. Um, the reason I don't like the term social distancing is because what they really mean is physical distancing. We don't want people to physically be close because that's where the risk is about, about spreading the virus. Um, but we need to be physically distant, but socially connected. And that's yes. the really important thing. We need to be, we still humans are very social animals. And although we, some of us might like a little bit of space from working from home and all all the rest of it, but we need to stay connected. Um, lifestyle is another really important thing. Establish a regular daily routine. Sleep properly. Eat nutritious foods. Um, reduce the amount of alcohol that you're consuming. We're seeing a lot of people are, are drinking a little bit more now. Um, uh, and keep your exercise going. I've kept my yoga going and I've kept my functional training going. Every day I do a yoga class or a functional training class online. I've joined a, I've got a, a gym that provides online um, um, programs. So I do it from my study and it's fantastic. Um, remember to stay positive. Um, you know, this is a period of self-isolation um, and it's very easy to, uh, to become a bit negative with things, but try and keep positive with things and, and stay up to date, but don't go crazy. Don't be following the news you know, every single half an hour or, or, or you know, every single hour um, and use reliable sources, not a lot of the fake news that's out there that seems to enjoy the and get pleasure from, from revving people up and getting them concerned unnecessarily about things. And, and the final point is just, just seek support. If you're feeling anxious or you're worried or a bit overwhelmed, reach out. Um, and at this point, remember that the um, Chiropractors HR service has got a really good employee well-being program with some great online resources um, and if you need to speak to anyone uh, from lifeline or anyone from any of the um, um, uh, specialist providers out there the team on the help desk have got all the contact numbers and will put you in touch with the best and most appropriate person who can who can help you so reach out and seek support in these very challenging times well, Mark, as always, um, you've been very eloquent, eloquent rather, and um, provided a lot of clarity uh, to what has been a, a somewhat confusing and uh, anxious time for, for not only chiropractors, but really uh, all Australians. So thank you so much. Um, I certainly, uh, as I said before, endorse and encourage people to have a look at the ACA web uh, site on the HR portal and definitely contact uh, Wentworth if you have any further questions or to clarify some specific matters that apply to your unique situation. So Mark, thanks so much again for your, for your help today. My pleasure, Anthony. Good to be here. Well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. 
I hope this podcast has been helpful for you and I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast. Mm-hmm.